Uh, so we've been in the middle of a short two-week series uh, looking at um, how, uh, the, essentially how the Great Commission works. So Matthew 28, which uh, Robin just read for us, divides it up into, into sort of two sections. Go and make disciples of all nations and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So last week, Pete considered what it mean, meant to be uh, people who are, who are going out to make disciples, people who are on mission. And this week, I'm going to be considering uh, what it looks like to be training them or teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded them, the, what in Christian jargon we tend to call discipleship. Uh, but I think often we think of discipleship as this, this thing that is between you and your learning and the things that we do. And I'm not entirely convinced that that's correct. And we're going to have a look through that um, from, from Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4 as well uh, this morning. So let me pray as we begin. Father God, I, I pray that you'd be uh, speaking through me this morning, uh, that your word would be uh, shining a light into our hearts, that your word would be sharper than a double-edged sword. May you be teaching us, training us, changing our hearts, bringing us closer towards you this morning. Amen. So as I said, it's a, it's a pretty big gambit that uh, discipleship is more than just individual training. Now, the other day I was picking up uh, Caleb and Daniel, my two sons from childcare, and I'd already picked up Daniel and I was off to pick up Caleb and had Daniel there and he, uh, we passed another parent in the corridor with their, their son and Daniel immediately went to try and grab something out of the parent's hands. I don't, can't remember what it was. And I said, no, Daniel, you have to use your words. Say, th- say please. And this parent looked at me completely aghast you're carrying an eight-month-old and you expect him to say, please? And I, I, I immediately saying, I just kept, kept on going and um, just further down the corridor, I heard them go, that baby can't speak. It's okay <laughs> to, their, to their kid. And, and I'm like, of course Daniel can't speak. One, it's a joke. But two, if, if you don't... So if children don't... Um, get spoken to, if they don't uh, have interactions uh, which involve words, they don't learn a language. Um, one of the, on, on the sadder side of things, when I, when I was doing my clinical psych work um, and my training, I visited a, um, a ba- it was a remand centre and there were a couple of kids there whose parents had never spoken to them in their life. They were about two or three, and they had—they just didn't have any concept of language. They had no understanding of, of what language was, whereas most kids would be babbling away, and even most um, toddlers are babbling away in something unintelligible or intelligible only to themselves. Um, there's, this, there's this idea of what language is that has been given to them by other people around them. And so I think this is actually... Uh, the, what the Bible often uses of training and teaching and, um, and growing up in, um, in faith and growing up in, in godliness, in discipleship, is this uh, sense of the family doing that. 
And so we're going to have a look at that this morning. I'm going to divide this sermon up into into three parts based on both um, Deuteronomy 6 and also on Matthew 4. So in Deuteronomy 6, uh, as Robin read for us, you have three sort of three sections uh, to uh, Moses' commands to Israel. Firstly, here, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Uh, here, these truths, these, these things about God, uh, incorporate that into, into this, your relationship between you and God. It's sort of a, a, an up dimension. Um, you might say that it's sort of know the Lord or, or understand, uh, have a relationship, a personal relationship. But then only a couple of verses later, it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. There's this sense in which uh, these things are to be inwardly learnt uh, as part of a community, as part of uh, a group of people. So how people are built up together. And then thirdly, as um, it continues on, when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, etc., do not forget. Uh, there's a sense in which this is... This isn't just uh, training at one or discipleship at one point in time, but this is discipleship for a journey. Uh, so growing up in a journey together. I think you, you know you, we see that in Deuteronomy, but we also see that in Matthew. In Ma- not so much the Great Commission, but earlier in Matthew, Matthew 18, um, which is the calling of the of the disciples. Uh, you see that as Jesus calls his disciples. Uh, Jesus begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I take it that's also the same thing as, uh, as Jesus called his disciples to do at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and tell people, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So what does Jesus do immediately after this? He says, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So come, um, be part of a new family. Come follow after Jesus. So this up dimension, knowing the Lord. And they'll be transformed uh, by, by Jesus as, he, as he, he does his work with them, that inward, inward transformation. And then I'll make you fishers of people. I'll send you out to fish for people. So uh, these three categories, know, know the Lord, build up, built up together or trained on the journey. You might also want to categorize as up, in and out. So up, or knowing the Lord. I think this is the one that we often find easiest in our society. Uh, as Westerners, um, the, the great institutions that we have around, around Melbourne, uh, the, the old sandstone buildings these days, are generally places of either higher education, of learning, or places where you have to have had higher education to get into. So you have the state house, uh, um, the, the legal courts, you have the universities. We as, as Western moderns are really good at this idea that we need to be trained, we need to learn these things. Uh, the fact that um, Caleb, who's four, goes to kinder, which is essentially a mini training house for training you how to do training at school. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've got to this point that you don't just go to school to be in order to learn things, but you have to go to a preschool to learn how to go to school. Um, I'm pretty sure that by the time that uh, Daniel, who's currently eight months old, gets to th- um, two or three, he'll be in a pre-preschool. 
um, where, where he will learn how to go to preschool, so then he learns how to go to school. Uh, this is just how we do life. We, we do it really, really well. We have this understanding that we, that, and this prizing of knowledge and of, of um, intellectual pursuits. And so I think when we hear these things, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I think we find that relatively easy, conceptually anyway. It's about us, what we do, and our work in doing so. Our discipleship means that you can get up early in the morning and you can do your Bible study. You can have your quiet time. You can come, you can come to a place or, or come together with others and train for uh, knowing knowing the scriptures better or knowing about God better. It's, we even give it a, a funky uh, name called catechesis, catechism. It's about the, the, the knowledge of God, being able to answer questions. And I think it's, that's attractive to us as individualistic moderns. We like it to be about me because that way I can control it. I think there's, there's this area where from the... The Protestant Reformation in the 16th century had a, a motto, which was sola scriptura, scripture alone. But I think often we've slightly shifted it. We don't know Latin anymore, of course, so it's become solo scriptura, my scripture alone, scripture when I'm alone. And so it becomes an effort of ourselves, an effort that, that we do. And therefore, it's easy to compartmentalize. The bit of discipleship that we do, the bit of getting to know the Lord, of following after Jesus that we do, is easily able to be done between 6.30 and 7 a.m. on a weekday morning and uh, 10.30 and 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Case closed. I've ticked the box. Time to go home. But I don't think that that's the picture, that, and it's certainly not the picture that we get in Scripture. Um, Matthew, the disciples in Matthew 4 weren't called to be part of Jesus' mission for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. They weren't called away to say, oh, you know, leave your nets and, uh, and come and be with me from uh, the time the cock crows once to the time the, the, the rooster crows twice, and then you can go home and get on the re- with the rest of your life. It's far more, come, follow after me, and they drop their nets and they leave. Same with Israel. Israel doesn't have much choice in uh, Deuteronomy 6. They're wandering around the wilderness. They've been taken wholesale out of Egypt. It's not, it's not that uh, God says to them, come through the Red Sea for four hours a week and then you can go home again. Um, this is come out of the wilderness and be um, on, on mission, on life together, being trained, being discipled into a relationship with God. And I think actually next Sunday, um, the, the, the way that we, I, I think, often think about church on Sunday is that if people aren't in a building together and um, you, know, you come to a building together to hear a sermon and to, to have the Bible read and to, and to pray and to sing, then church hasn't happened. Um, by, by this rubric, by, by the, the way that... The gospel and um, Deuteronomy and other parts of scripture set out. Church is far more about all of life when Christians gather together. 
not just about a few hours on a Sunday morning. So perhaps we should say next Sunday morning, uh, instead there won't be any church gathering here, but there'll be the church gathering everywhere as members of Inner West gather together down at Belgrave for the Jesus Convention or gather together here um, for a picnic or gather together up at um, Mr Griffith's for a sending off. Um, these things are church. They are opportunities to gather together. And I think there's something which is really telling about this. Because if it is a hard issue that um, the way that we relate to discipleship is about me and my life and therefore I can control it, then the way scripture describes it as relating to each other and each other having relationship to our heart life, to, to how we know the Lord, is actually quite confronting. Because that means that not only do you have to let other people in to that, that, uh, intimate, well, that personal relationship, but you have to also let them be able to teach you in that. And that, can, and I think, is, is often quite a scary thought for us. Deuteronomy continues on. Uh, impress, them, impress these things, the commandments, uh, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This isn't just individuals doing their own thing in the middle of a desert. This is a community impressing it on each other. Talking about it when you sit at home implies that you know, these things are, are, are things that have um, relevance for people uh, and other people should be telling them about it as well. But that, I think, brings up a second issue for us. Often when we talk about uh, being built up together, gathering together, the in component of, of gathering, I think a lot of people go, oh, I, I just don't have enough time. I'm, I'm busy and I'm an introvert. I like my alone time. I need me time. And that gathering together becomes this, this sort of burden of spending every minute of every day together with other people. But I think there's a problem with that. Firstly, just chronologically, we spend about a third of our lives sleeping and I'm not advocating sleeping together. But as well... There's, this, there, there's a sense in which if as family we do these things, it's not that we have to be in each other's pocket all the time. But I think that objection also raises a second heart issue. In order to, to spend, well, what happens when you spend a lot of time with other people is that you get to know each other. And you get to know each other really well. You get to know each other's foibles, the, the reasons why people get frustrated when they get milk in their tea by accident, um, or the, the, reasons, the reasons why, you, um, why people have s sudden you know, visceral reactions to certain, certain events that happen. And that implies vulnerability. To be able to, to spend time with, with others, to gather with others, to be taught by others, to, be, to be, uh, have other people speak into your life, 
means that you have to be vulnerable with them. And we don't do vulnerability well. I think the, perhaps the easiest way that to see that we don't do vulnerability well is to simply look at the, at the incidence of uh, depression, anxiety and other significant uh, mental traumas in our society. People don't process things. People don't uh, engage with things until it's too late and they fall on a heap. But instead, I think what Deuteronomy and Matthew calls us to is to be vulnerable with other people so that we may be trained and built up, so we may, we may be discipled, we may disciple each other. This is a bit like um, if you've ever tried to, uh, you know, I know there's a few teachers here, if you've ever tried to teach children things, it can be the most infuriating thing in the world. Um, and, and part of that is because as an adult, you're like, I have had... Well, let, let's just take toilet training, for example. Um, you know, you've had 20, 30, 40 years of experience of going to the toilet. It's really simple. You, you know, you, you, don't, you, you can literally get out, stumble out of bed, go to the toilet in your sleep and do it. You don't have to worry about it. Suddenly you're trying to explain it to a small child who has no idea as to how to, how to go to the toilet. It's infuriating. You're sitting there going, I don't understand what's going on. Why don't you just grasp this concept really easily? And it ends up being a longer process. But one of the, one of the great things I've seen recently, actually, is um, basically there's a couple of kids um, that we know who aren't toilet trained yet. They're just a bit too young. Uh, Caleb is toilet trained. And instead, Caleb is the one who, who goes, I, I remember this. This is only like a year ago for me. I've, I've, I haven't, it hasn't been so long since I've been toilet trained. So I'm going to teach you. This is, this is how you do it. This is how you, how you can be toilet trained. And I think that, that's the case for a lot of us in a lot of our life. It's really difficult to learn from someone who is a subject matter expert, someone who has been trained as part of the reason why um, senior lecturers and professors at university make some of the worst first-year lecturers at uni. It's because you, like... And so I've been in this position. Um, I've, I've watched... I've been in this position as a student and then I've been in it as a lecturer. Because you're staying there as a lecturer and you're going, I'm going to say this, but then there's all of these other caveats that I need to make because that's not going to make sense in all of the circumstances that it needs to make sense in. But as a student, you're sitting there going, I just want to know the you know, 80% of the, of the times it's going to make sense. And this is actually really, um, I, I think, one of, the, one of the areas where we as a community have a great opportunity to train each other. Um, there's diversity, there's uh, each of us, we're not all carbon copies of each other. Uh, thank goodness for that. Um, we, we each have different opportunities to see the different aspects of each other's life, to be able to train each other well, to be able to teach each other um, using di different perspectives. And those different perspectives, I think, are invaluable for our training and our life together, that we together are built up. It doesn't become just one person trying to build themselves up in knowledge, 
but rather we can together build each other up. And I think one of the areas that is quite important about this is just as it says in Deuteronomy, um, talk about when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's this constant sort of reminder of things. And the imagery that, that um, Moses used in Deuteronomy is that of a path, of a journey as you're travelling along. Um, I, now, I don't, I don't know if many people have taken long journeys in either in the desert or in areas where it's fairly featureless. Um, I've had the fun or not so much fun of driving on the hay plane many times between Canberra and Adelaide. You're driving along this road. There's basically no trees. You can see the tarmac in front of you. But one of the weird things about that road is it's just it's dead straight and you you often find yourself just wandering over all over the road like for no reason you know the, the lines are there they haven't moved but for some reason you're in in your car going ooh ooh and it's actually one of the the biggest dangers about driving from um either from Adelaide to Perth or Adelaide to um to Darwin is that people go oh there's a tree i wonder what that is Let's go over there. And they drive literally straight off the road, which, which is a bitumen road. It's not like there's no demarcations, there's no, no lines. They just go, ooh, let's go over there and find this tree. And, and like, the, the, the reports are, are tragic. There's people who have driven you know, 20, 30 metres off a road to hit the only tree in 200 kilometres. And it's one of the, one of the areas that I think... Um, journey together helps us to, to to prevent those sort of things because in our lives, if we're the only, if we're the lone ranger going off on this on this journey, it's very easy to get distracted by other things. But actually, if we're journeying together, then there's plenty of opportunities to be able to correct each other, to be able to say, no, no, why are you going towards that tree that's thirty meters off the road? That's that's a collision course. This is not good. Um, and, and to bring people and bring each other back on track. When, when all of those, you know, when, when so many new things come up, when so many um, alternative uh, ideas or different frames come up, then being able to, to help each other uh, stay on the path, strengthen what is true and right, uh, is actually of great benefit. But where does that path go? Is this just our own individual path through life? I think actually the way that Deuteronomy talks about it is far more about a path of mission. And that may seem really weird in a sermon on discipleship. You know, you're supposed to be talking, like, you know, a couple of looks I just got then were like, you're supposed to be talking about discipleship, which is about, you know, people growing up, and you're talking about people going on mission. And it, but it's true. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 10, 10 to 12. When the Lord brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, this is their mission, they're going into the promised land, um, then be careful, you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The, the mission that we're on and the journey that we're on, I think are dovetailed. They're... They're two parts, two sides of the same coin. They're two tracks of a train line 
which are going in the same direction. The best training for, for ourselves, the best discipleship, I think actually happens when we're on mission together. It's actually the journey that teaches us well, gives us opportunities to learn, gives us opportunities for training. Um, years and years ago, uh, I was one of my housemates um, was a little bit obsessed with the, the web series called How It Should Have Ended, which is a, um, essentially this cartoon series which wonders, you know, what, what should the ending of a movie or, or something have been? Um, and when The Lord of the Rings came out a, a while ago, they, um, the, the parody, or the, the How It Should Have Ended came out with a, a short video which essentially proposed that um, as the, the Fellowship of the Ring meets, uh, that they should just you know, get the eagles to go and fly the rings over and drop them off um, in, in Mount Doom. It's, it's a much simpler journey, you know, straight there, straight back, all sorted. You don't have to worry about this long, arduous journey through Mordor and all the dangers of the forest and being eaten by spiders and things like this. Just fly there, drop it off, come back. And it, you know, Houchman is probably right. It would have, it would have been a much simpler journey, much easier. Wouldn't have made much for much of a story. So you can understand why Tolkien didn't write that. But in the end, it would have been hollow, because when the Fellowship meets at, um, at as at the Council, they're all, they're all fairly two-dimensional characters. It's the journey to Mordor. Um, it's a journey to, to Helm's Deep. It's all of the, the, the journeys that they're on that reveal everything about the characters, reveal who they are. Frodo wouldn't have known the temptation of the ring without a long walk with it tied around his neck to get there. Smeagol, Gollum, wouldn't have known anything about um, the, the sort of quasi-redemption that he experiences without... Having, to, having this long journey. Sam wouldn't have been revealed as a trustworthy friend. He would have still been the bumbling one who managed to accidentally get caught up in an adventure. It is the journey to Mordor, to Mount Doom, that, that reveals all these things about the characters. It's the things, it's the, the path along the way that teaches them about who they are. And I think it's that for us too. Israel was sent in, into the promised land and it teaches them a lot about who they are, about what their heart motivation is, about what the pitfalls they have are, what um, their, you know, their actual motivation is for following after God. The disciples are sent out two by two uh, to go out and do a mission with Jesus around and then later on they're sent out um, by Jesus in the Great Commission. Neither group is sent out to um, sent away for to study for a while, um, and then go off on their own as a lone ranger. Heck, even the lone ranger has Tonto to go with him. Um, if that makes any sense to anyone, they did a Johnny Depp um, redo of it, so which was a terrible movie. But you should know who the lone ranger and Tonto are. Um, and we, we too, I think, are sent out. We, we too are sent out on. God's mission together, on that journey together, to, be, to train each other, to teach each other, to keep each other on the path, to be um, 
trained as we go. And now, if we, it's true, we aren't all sent out as a big group um, all the time. We do gather here as a larger group, and then we, and then we do often do mission in our smaller groups. Um, and that, that is, a, is a really good way of, of training each other, training ourselves to split up the mission between us. Paul and Barnabas went, went one way. Um, Simon Peter and uh, James in Acts 15 uh, went another way and, and um, sought to, to have a mission with the, the Jews. Um, this is, these are the ways that God um, teaches us. But the, the critical part of that is that in that journey, in that journeying together, we are trained. We're trained up. We are discipled. We, go, we grow in our knowledge of, of, of God. The, the immediate outcome of this in Deuteronomy is, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other, other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God is among you. This is, this is where the outcome of, of this journey is for Israel. And I think that's where the outcome of the journey is for us, as we journey together. We aren't a lone ranger going out on mission on our own or going through life on our own. But I think actually we're more of a, a plethora, a group of tontos, if that is, makes any sense whatsoever, a group of tonto Indians going out with Jesus, who is our lone ranger, on his mission. Jesus', Jesus mission is our mission, but we're the ones going along with him on it. And I take it that that's actually the main way that we are trained up. And it's also the main way that we, are, we have an opportunity to bring the gospel to every man, woman and child, both in Melbourne and Kensington um, and throughout the world, that they may have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. It's because we do that as a, as a, a family, as a group together, bound together by the Spirit, teaching each other training each other, building our relationship with God up, building us together inwardly and sending us out, outwardly into the world. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you uh, do not send us out alone, that you have not uh, put us as uh, lone rangers into the wilderness to fend for ourselves, but rather you have uh, brought us together as your people you have bound us together by your spirit and that you are teaching us and training us as we teach and train each other in your ways. Father, help us to build each other up. Build us up into your people. Amen.